And the best way to, uh, to head into this is, is actually look at the last few verses of Matthew 23. We have to do it this way because we're actually going to spend an awful lot of the time in a Joseph Smith translation of Matthew 24. Because there are two books we're going to look at today, Matthew 24 and Luke 21. And in both of them, if you just read them, you're not going to be quite sure whether we're talking about events about the second coming or events there, there in their present day. And they wind together. Now, Joseph Smith, in the, as early as 1831, as he was translating this, he said that he was fulfilling part of his calling today by doing the translation. And what happens with the Joseph Smith translation is some of that jumble gets turned around. He moved verses around so that it, it becomes very clear in, in Matthew 24 what pertained to the destruction of Jerusalem and then what pertained after that towards the second coming, which is more helpful for us. Okay. Um, now, I want to start, though, with a... The, this is one of those moments when I look at verses and I don't know that I know exactly what I'm looking at. So I will, I will confess to you, this is one of those times that, I mean, I know what it's saying, but the full import of this, I don't know what it's saying. Uh, and I hope that someday I, I will. Um, if you look at Matthew 24, and again, this Matthew 24, if you remember, is going to be about, this is the destruction of the temple and the disciples are interested in when is this and how is this and oh my gosh, the, the stones of the temple are going to be turned over. These are massive stones. Um, what prompted the discourse actually starts a few verses ahead. This is the last week of his life. He's made his triumphal entry. He's cleaned out the temple. He's teaching now during this last week. He will, he will be dead in just a few days. But he wants them to know when he's coming back. But listen to this curious thing. It's the last few verses of Matthew 23. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you Jerusalem, prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye kill and crucify, and some of these ye, ye shall scourge. So he's talking about in the future. Remember, the Savior's going to die around 33 A.D., when is, when is Jerusalem destroyed? Any history buffs? 70. 70. Yeah, 70. And it will start in 66. So we're talking a little over a 30-year span that the church will have to kind of do what it's going to do, the, the church of the former day saints. It will also give uh, Paul especially the chance to preserve the church. And he preserves and the church by taking it into Europe before Jerusalem falls so that it has a chance to gain hold in, in Ephesus and Philippi and uh, Corinth and Rome. Because if they just stayed in Jerusalem, the church wouldn't have made it out of the first 30 years. Okay. So he's going to... So this is what's going to happen. He's going to send... His prophets will go in. Some of them he will scourge in the synagogues and persecute them. From city to city. Um, in fact, a little bit out of order here, but let me do this. I want, I want to give you an idea.
Tradition with one exception. The apostles that Jesus appointed to carry on his work were subjected to violent deaths. Peter, Philip, Simon, and Andrew were crucified. James and Paul were beheaded. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Thomas was run through with a lance. James, the son of Alphaeus, was beaten to death. Thaddeus was shot through with arrows. Barnabas was stoned. Matthew was slain with a battle axe in Ethiopia. And Mark was dragged to death in the streets of Alexandria. And then John ends up being alone on the Isle of Patmos. So he talks about what's going to happen. This was they all had signed they, they, they'd signed on to their deaths when they when they followed the Savior. Where, how did we find this information? Where did you get it? <laughs> that is really a good question. She she wanted to know where I got this from. Well, it's in the handout. Is it? Yeah. There you go. You know what? It might be the fact that what I, what I sent to you, as far as the historical background, I think the uh, citation for that is in there. Thank you. One of the general authorities. Yeah. And I yes, it was. Okay. So that's it. Sterling Sill. It was Sterling Sill. Okay. So I'm going to send all of these people to you. You'll persecute them. And then he makes this interesting statement. This is the part that I have not yet been able to wrap my head around. That upon you, meaning the Jews at that time in Jerusalem, may come upon <coughs> may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel and to the blood of Zacharias whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. I don't understand that. In some way, there was some payment, retribution, something that this, that these uh, saints would bear going back to the blood of Abel. I don't understand that. But there it is. And then he's going to say... Verily I say unto you, all these shall come upon this generation. Now, to understand what came upon this generation, and we will uh, so I'll give you a little bit of the background here. Uh, the, the revolt uh, against the Romans will begin about 66 A.D. Uh, what happened is, is that... Uh, the, the Roman, I uh, 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 can't remember what they called him, the prelate or whatever, he, anyway, the guy that was over Judea, started putting Roman uh, gods in the temple. Which, of course, that didn't go over very well. That stirred up especially the zealots, um, who then led the revolt going forward uh, against the Romans, and two things are going to happen simultaneously. On one end, they will go down to Masada. They will lay siege at Masada. They will take over Masada. Uh, and then it will take about three years for the Romans to dig them out of Masada. Uh, and we know the story of Masada, right? That ultimately, just before they broke in to that desert fortress on top of the mountain, that uh, they, they uh, drew lots. 
And uh, if you've ever seen a Masada exhibit, you can actually see those lots. They're pot shards that they broke up. And uh, uh, there were a group of men, about 12 of them, that were then instructed to then uh, kill everybody else, then kill their families. Then one drew the lot to kill the others. And then the last one, because suicide was so bad, then the, the only one would have to commit suicide, which they did, just before the Romans broke in and found everybody dead. Okay, that will take three years. While that is going on, they will be fighting back against the Romans in Jerusalem. The Romans will begin to mass against Jerusalem. Uh, the zealots will then lead the Pharisees and everybody else behind the walls of Jerusalem, and they will hold the Romans at bay for another three years in Jerusalem. Uh, and all this time, and, and slowly the Romans will break through the outer wall, then the second wall, then they're going to have backed up into the temple, and the, the temple will be the last thing to fall. Uh, the zealots were one of the reasons that, one of the problems here is that they believed that this would bring the coming of the Messiah. So they were really kind of, they didn't like what was going on, but they were kind of thrilled that now is the moment the Messiah will come uh, and preserve us. Yeah. What was it that stirred the Romans up against them so much? Well, because again, the Romans thought that they were beginning to push a little bit. It, it was the new leader of the Romans that put the gods in the temple complex. And then when the, Rome, when the Jews started to fight back, then they're just kind of taking umbrage at the fact that they're pushing back against us. Um, and it's right about this moment, 66 AD, when this starts, this is when uh, Peter is crucified and Paul is beheaded in Rome under Nero. Okay, Nero will kill the two of them. Nero will die. And you know about Nero fiddling while Rome burns and all that's going on there. And then this will then fall to Titus in Jerusalem to put down the rebellion in Judea. Um, Titus will finally, actually it was, it was uh, Herod, who gets tired of the fact that the Romans have been protecting the temple. They could have ended the rebellion sooner. They didn't want to set fire to the temple. Finally they go, okay, okay, we've had enough. And they set fire to the temple. And they light the, the great gates of the temple on fire. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever... You ever gone out uh, to a uh, fire ant mound and kind of stomped on it or stirred it up or something like that? What happens? It just explodes, right? And there's like fire ants everywhere, like a fire ant tornado. That's what happened in Jerusalem. As soon as they lit fire to the temple, it was like setting off a fire ant mound. The Jews came from all quarters and they massed on the temple to try and stop whether they had weapons or not. Our temple's on fire, and they're coming out of everywhere, and they're attacking the Romans, whether they've got weapons or not. Uh, and that will, in that, now the revolt is really on. Uh, the death toll will be right around a million one. Uh, the, the beautiful path from Mount Olive that and the, the, the Savior did on the triumphal entry down into the Valley of Kidron, back up and stuff like that, will be lined with cruci uh, people being crucified. They'll run out of wood, so many. Um, they will, um, when they finally break into the temple complex, there will be bodies everywhere. 
Um, and then they're being rushed by on all sides, and so they're killing men, women, children, the lame, the strong, everybody. And they just that, so they will they will kill all total about a million, over a million. They will take about another six hundred thousand back in chains to Rome, to then feed them to the lions and the gladiators and and all of that. Okay, uh, and then the last thing to fall will be Masada. Uh, and we know what happens at Masada. And by the way, if you're in the uh, uh, Israeli Air Force, uh, one of the little traditions there is in, is in the Israeli Air Force, when you fly into, into Israel, and if you go by Masada, you waggle your wings in, in uh, tribute. Uh, and also the, uh, the, the kind of the battle cry of Israel is Masada shall not fall again. But that was the last thing. Now... What, what you're looking at then is in the top corner you've got the stones that were finally uh, cast down as the Savior said they will be. Uh, these massive stones were uh, upwards of about 48 to 50 feet long, about 24 feet wide, and the Roman soldiers dug them up because they believed that there was like Solomon's treasure underneath all of that. Okay, And then after Titus uh, conquered Ju- Judea, these coins were minted in honor of that conquer, in order of that victory. In fact, you can see the, the one on the far right here, the uh, uh, capta, capta, capture of uh, Judea, I-V-D-A, capture of Judea, okay? And, that's, and, these, and these coins were minted in that, and then if anybody's ever been to Rome... Magnificent Titus Arch that was constructed to honor Titus conquering Judea. Yeah, in fact, you can see them. You may, it, that, that's, a, that's a relief of the one in the bottom right, and you can see the, the candle abra there. Okay? And the, and the golden trumpets. Are in there. So, anyway, so that, so when the Savior is going to then say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stoneth the prophets, you just don't know what's coming, this is what he's watching. He's watching what, what uh, will be called uh, the abomination of desolation. And the abomination of desolation is the dis- total destruction of Jerusalem, and it happens three times, right? The first at, just after Lehi leaves town. The second is here, and the third is, is still coming. Yeah. Okay. All right. They were, because everybody's coming forward now. Now we'll talk about in a second. What about the Christians? The Christians actually, a lot of them escaped, and we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, I did that too. I did that too. But there's still some sense of that somehow on their shoulders falls all this other blood. You go. And, 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 th- and they did it will. And the, the Joseph translation says, and you guys did it with your wide, eyes wide open versus your father's sin with their eyes closed. But somehow there's still retribution falling on these guys 
Because their eyes, they did, they sinned willingly. Does it seem harsh in your head? I, 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 I don't understand how the retribution of blood works. Back to Abel. Go all the way back to Abel and say, part of what's about to happen in this destruction of Israel, because you guys knew what you were doing, you're somehow paying for everything back to Abel. That I don't get. That's amazing to me. And I still don't have an answer on that. Um, okay. So that said, let's go to Joseph Smith, uh, Matthew 1. Uh, but, and where do we find this? In the Pearl of Great Price. Yeah. Uh, he did an awful lot of the translation of the Bible. Uh, but this, because he rearranged so much in Matthew 24, uh, Franklin D. Richards, at, when he was mission president in England in 1852, when he put a, the, the first Pearl of Great Price together and he was putting together things that his saints would appreciate having, like the first vision, he also included Matthew 24. And it was kind of became tradition to kind of include that. That's why we now have this in the Pearl of Great Price, Matthew 24. All right. So, the, again, the, the reorganization of this helps a little bit because now what it's going to tell us is the first, first 20 verses are going to be present day, uh, before, just before Jerusalem is destroyed. What will come 22 to the end is second coming, and that really pertains to us. Does that make sense? Now, that said, because history repeats itself, it is worth looking at the first 20 verses because a lot of that will repeat itself and we're going to see it probably in a lot of our lifetime, lifetimes. Okay, so verse 1. I say unto you that ye, you'll see me not henceforth uh, until I come again and you'll say, Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Then look at this. The last line. Then understood his disciples that he should come again on the earth after he was glorified and crowned on the right hand of God. They understood that there would be a second coming. So now they're going, okay, what do we need to know before Jerusalem is destroyed? What do we know before the second coming will happen? So we're trying to juggle these two time periods. And then the Savior is going to teach things in layers based on how people are ready. Verse 2. Jesus went out, departed from the temple. His disciples came after him for to hear him saying, <clears throat> uh, Master, show us concerning the buildings of the temple, as thou hast said, they shall be thrown down and left you desolate. And Jesus said, See ye not all these things and not understand them? I mean, picture them standing outside the temple, looking up at this magnificent 16-story Building with these massive walls, massive stones, and he's going to say, Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here upon this temple one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Well, that's, I mean, that's a little bit like saying, Look at the World Trade Center. Can you imagine that something will come along and knock the World Trade Centers down? And people are going, Really? Really, look at the size of that thing. There's nothing that can take those things down. So now he's got their attention. And then Jesus left them. 
and went up on the Mount of Olives. So, um, anybody been on the Mount of Olives? Okay, what's the view of, like of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives? There it is, right? It's right in front of you. Okay? Well, there he is. So they're sitting up there. It's like this is the perfect object lesson. So they're sitting up here on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. So now you get an idea. This is like the smaller group, not the larger group. This is probably the smaller, more like the 12, saying, um, we have two big questions. Number one, tell us when these things shall be which thou said concerning the destruction of the temple. We'd kind of like to know that one. And the Jews, that's number one. And what is the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? Or the destruction of the wicked, which is the end of the world? So we really have two questions. We want to know about the destruction of the temple and the second coming. That's what's going to give us Matthew 24. Now, the name of this lesson is actually kind of misnomer. Because the more I studied this, after I kind of started to put this lesson together, you might call this lesson, What is the Signs of Thy Coming? What is the Signs of the Second Coming? That isn't really this. If you really read section or Matthew 24, and you read those things around it, I believe if I were going to change the lesson today, it would be How Not to Be Deceived. Because it's fascinating to me that the, 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 the disciples say to him, Okay, so tell us when the, the temple will be destroyed and tell us when the second coming will be. And his answer is, verse 5, Take heed that no man deceive you. Why would he start with that? Why would he begin with deception? I think he knew that there would be people who claimed they knew when it was coming. And boy, are there. Boy, are there. Think about how much confusion has happened with people who don't understand and are deceived about, specifically about the second coming. Okay? Cindy and I, as we were driving back from San Antonio last weekend, there's a great big billboard, maybe you've seen it, and it's like, just outside Waco, I think. Uh, big thing about... The, I think, didn't it say the Savior is coming in, in 2024, right? No, what it said is no man can know the, coming of, the, the time of the coming of the Savior, but the Lord didn't say that we couldn't know uh, the dates of what happens after he came. Yeah, the, 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 the Jerusalem, I think, will be destroyed, I think he says, 2024. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So we had to go through and look it all up, and it's like, okay, you got us, so we then spend the next you know, hour digging through all of these sources about the assumptions that he made. And it really came down to the fact that we know it will be 2024 because it says that the, the, the sun will be darkened and the moon turned to blood. That has got to be a, a solar eclipse. When is the next solar eclipse? Over Jeru full eclipse in Jerusalem, 2024. And then he kind of worked his history from there. Okay? So... In case you wondered, it's, apparently it's 2024, right? <laughs> Angels don't know, but they do. Um, for Now, he's going to say, For many shall come in my name, saying that I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, that's going to be differentiated from the fact that he's going to say in verse 9, 
and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. So you're actually going to get both. They had it in Jerusalem. We will have it in the future. Because this, this prophecy is going to be repeated. So what happened in Jerusalem? You think they had false Christ in that 30 year span between the death of the Savior and the destruction of Jerusalem? Yeah, they did. Particularly there were a couple of them. One a Samaritan. I can't remember his name. And there was another one, a Jew. And in each case, they said, we are, we are the Messiah. And follow us and throw off the Romans and attack. And in both cases, they, were, they, they met very violent deaths. Okay? Now, from that standpoint, even looking ahead, how about now? Do we get people that say, I am the Christ? What would it take to be a Christ figure? Someone that says that I will redeem you, I will save you, I am going to just make yes. my problems go away and solve it all. There you go. I, I, I'm a Christ figure if I've got salvation figured out and you just need to do what I say and you will be saved. Now, if you take that broader definition, are there Christ figures around us? We elect them all the time. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but but you almost get that sense that says if you if if I'm elected, then these all these great things and wonderful happen. The world will change. It will be better. Okay. What else might be a false Christ out there? Think figuratively. Yeah, that some say that they're going to receive a lot of things through through Satan. You're right. Yeah. But but if you do it the way that I'm saying you do it, you'll be saved. Okay. You see, when anybody kind of goes radical on anything, okay. I read, we're supposed to eat healthy, but if you get kind of kind of radical like vegans or radical environmentalists or radical, there's salvation coming if you do things this way and anything else is evil. We just get ourselves to that place. Um, you're probably aware of the uh, Rick Warren and uh, the Uh-huh. Well, Yeah. Kind of a grassroots effort. I'll put a church together based on what you're looking for. And people in my class that have been to the church yeah. um, said that it was like going into the food court at the mall. You could choose whatever type of service. It's true. So I think part of this is just making it a man's church according to what would be comfortable for that. So if you wanted a rock band, you could go to that service. Yeah, and in fact, most churches have now done that, don't they? Uh, where they'll say, okay, the contemporary service is at 9 o'clock, and then, the more, or the traditional one is at 9 o'clock. That's because the contemporary people are going to sleep in a little later. They'll come at 11, and we'll have the band at 11 o'clock. 
you know, if you don't know the gospel, it's understandable to me that people will be searching. Yeah. That they will be um, looking for what feels good. Right. They, they do look at but they're just not, it's, a, it's an itch that can't be scratched. Right. They're constantly looking here. Okay. So he's going to say there will be false Christ. Then he's going to say there are going to be false prophets arise. And then he's going to say something that I think is rather interesting. One of the things that you will put up with as part in this 30-year span is then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. One of the places that you will run into problem is those that become offended, betray, and hate one another. Okay? Now, do we have any other little discussion in Scripture about this? Forgiveness. Okay. How to forgive. There's a lack of forgiveness. Right. But do we actually have a a vision that might include this? Oh, yes. Oh. Lehi's children. There you go. Okay. Remember, Lehi's dream, verse 24, I saw others pressing forward and they came forward and they did press forward through the midst of darkness, clinging to the iron rod. We're talking about those that cling and can't let go as opposed to those that are more steadfast. Elder Bednar makes this distinction. Those that cling to the rod of iron, they came forth, they partake of the fruit, and after they partake of the fruit of the tree, they did cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed. Why are they ashamed? What are they looking at? The great and spacious building, the GSB. Okay? We always used to laugh, laugh about the, the Parkway building here in Plano that is right kitty corner from the, from the GSB. Okay. Um, they were cast around. In other words, they had made it all the way through. They get there. They, they, they clung to the iron rod, which sounded okay, except for the fact that, again, as we've talked about in other lessons, clinging, we cling generally out of a sense of fear, panic, desperation. It's not out of faith. It's out of fear. When we cling out of fear, and then they get to the... Even when they partake of the fruit, now they're going to be ashamed because they're ashamed of the scorn and everything they're getting from the building. Now, what's not necessarily said in here, what do you think came next? What comes next? It says that they were, that they then, um, they look around, uh, verse 28, they tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because they were scoffing at them, they fell into forbidden paths and were lost. You think they just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth? Where did they go? To the building. Absolutely. They were lost from this, but in many cases they would make it over, get into the building. So in, so in a lot of cases, who's standing looking out the window, scoffing at the people eating the fruit? Those that have been there already previously, right? Okay, now. So let's... So there was a deception that went on with the Jews. Um, I'm going to do this out of order here. Let's do this one. Okay. 
This is the de- deception chain uh, of, the dece- of the offended. It's exactly what they look like. It was a picture right at the moment. They're looking at something online. Okay, first of all, they're going to fail to understand. Um, there's an, uh, the, part of where this thing starts is a uh, lack of an understanding about our history or lo- lack of an understanding about the Savior, lack of an understanding about their righteousness. There's some level of misunderstanding. Whenever I talk and work with people that are struggling with this, I, run, I see this a lot. Where we start going back to some very simple things of the gospel, they didn't get them. They didn't understand. Okay? What then comes next? They're then given false information. However, somehow false information is going to come to those that don't understand. They were partaking of the fruit. They seem to be okay, but now they're going to get false information. And it's going to land on those who do not have the understanding to understand when they're being lied to. Okay. So, again, if we go back to... Uh, I was thinking about this again. We were at the temple on, on Saturday night. Um, think about Eve. Okay, She is, she is innocent. Um, and, and yet, so Satan is going to come along. Lucifer is going to start trying to persuade her to do what he wants her to do. Does he start off telling her the truth or a lie? Truth. After truth, after truth, after truth. You've got to do this. This is the only way it can be done. This is the only way you're going to understand good and evil and bad. And, and, and he's telling her, and she gets it. And she understands at that point even the ramifications about, wow, yeah, I've I got to do this. I've got to eat this fruit. Okay? Truth after truth after truth after truth. Where was the lie? Well, we sometimes we think it's thou shalt not surely die. Did Satan intend for her to die? No. He did not want her to die. He wanted her to live forever in her sins. Right? So that's why I've always believed there was a second course in store for, according to Satan's plan... Eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil for the first course. And then the second course is go eat the tree of life and live forever in your sins. Therefore, you're mine. Okay. So when he he can actually say with a pretty clear conscience, no, you're not going to die. I don't want you to die. Why would I want you to die? The plan starts and I start losing power. You're on your way to exaltation. I don't want you to die. Where was his lie? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, and I think that's I think that's the second one. I think the first one comes when he says to her, and you're doing this without looking at the scriptures. That's good. I need you to have it here. Yes. Because the gods know. They haven't had you eat this fruit because the gods know that when you partake of this fruit, you'll become like them in knowing good and evil. What's the implication there? They don't want you to. It's, it's casting aspersions on God. 
It was a prideful thing. They didn't want you to... That you could have taken the fruit. It's good for food. It's pleasant to the taste. It's delicious. They just didn't want you to take it because then you'd be like them and they don't want that. It's a very subtle, subtle, subtle lie. There's a subtlety there, isn't there? I think there's a subtlety that comes in there that says, no, we want the right things, but the subtlety says, but there's a pride factor there that says we're somehow being deprived of something by virtue of. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, Satan wanted him to know good and evil, and like with uh, um, Cain, I want you to know good and evil, and choose evil. Love me more. Okay, and then cast a spirit. Well, God just doesn't want you to have this. This isn't. There's a secret plan why you're not being given this great fruit. Bummer for you, but I'm, I'm your brother. I love you. I care about you. Eat the fruit. Because all these things need to happen, which was true. Okay? See, that's, that's why they're given false information, but if we don't understand, this false information slides in and we don't see it coming. And I think that's what happens uh, with people that get wrong information these days about the church. They, because they didn't completely understand everything, um, they, they get confused. Okay? So, they're given false information. The next step is they fear they've been deceived. Now, this is the fascinating, sophisticated part of the way Satan works. They fear they have been deceived. By who do they think they have been deceived? By the ones that have been telling them the truth. Those that are deceiving them are telling them the ones that are deceiving them are the ones telling them the truth. Isn't that good? If we're going to talk about the abortion debate, do we want to talk about life or do we want to talk about choice? Shouldn't, we, shouldn't it be about choice? Didn't we, didn't we fight the... The uh, war in heaven over the right to choose. Why would you deny anybody the right to choose? We'll make good evil and evil good, right? That's the deception. And it's really good. And you know, when you talk about all these scriptures that talk about false prophets, I love the formula in Matthew 7 from 13 to 20 where he talks about, you know, how to identify false prophets. But he says, by, your, by their fruits you shall know them. Which presumes there will be true prophets. Yes, that's true. That's true. But isn't it interesting that when, that, that if someone's going to attack the church, if we can get you doubting Joseph Smith's roots, or doubting Joseph Smith's motives, or doubting and abandoning Joseph Smith's life, we can get you to focus on whether or not he did this or this, and not look at his fruits, which is the Book of Mormon, or the, the revelations that came right about the same time, or the joy that came to all the saints as they accepted all of this stuff. Because we've got, it's a smoke and mirrors thing, we've got you focused on uh, what he was doing at a certain time and not on his fruits. That's a great point. Yeah, just this past week I was uh, 
doing stuff on the internet and stumbled across uh, mormonthink.org, uh -huh. which is, uh, they, they actually follow this pattern exactly. It's, it's interesting you're telling this because they pretty much follow this exact pattern where they give a lot of truths. Yep. And then they just kind of slide the stuff in and... And, and here's a quote. They're neutral because they're like, hey, you know, we're just, hey, we're just putting out here. You can choose this way. You can choose that way. Here's resources if you want to choose. And by the way, you believe in Brigham Young. Right. Well, it's just Brigham Young that said that. Exactly. Why would you have a problem with what Brigham Young said? Or, or, he was one of, your, is one of your prophets. Why would you argue with that? Especially if we can edit it a bit or put, take it out of context. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Kevin, aren't most of these people former members of the church? Oh, almost all are. They're the ones in the building now. And we're, we're going there. Okay? All right. So they fear that they've been deceived. And then they're deceived about being deceived. Because I will, I will say, okay, so if you're trying to understand this, shouldn't you understand... If you're reading this stuff from these people, shouldn't you be also reading the stuff from our church history and from the, the brethren. No, no, because they lied to me here, so I immediately am going to discount anything that comes from the church, and I'm just going to listen to this stuff over there because I've now been deceived. Okay? This is how this dance works. So, are you being deceived? No, for the first time in my life, I see the truth. Ah. Okay. Deceived about being deceived. Then the next step is... They become offended... I can't believe the church told me that. I can't believe I believed that. My primary teacher fed me that stuff. And I can't believe and I can't believe. Now I'm offended. And my gospel doctrine teacher was trying to tell me this stuff. So now, now I got myself in a snit. Or they used to say on my mission in England, they got their panties in a wad. <laughs> I always thought that was pretty descriptive. <laughs> Nothing like having your panties in a wad, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to become offended, and then, and then the next step from after being offended is now blinded, they reject the truth. So they're just not going to look at any truth at all coming from truthful sources. Now, this is the point at which, and Joseph Smith identified it. They now leave the church. Are they done? No. No. They leave, they leave the, the tree of life. Now they're ashamed. Now they make their way over to the great and spacious building. And here comes the next part, which is now they mock and have disdain for the truth. And you'll see this is where... They, now they leave the church, but they cannot leave it alone. And now, now they're going to have disdain for and mock those that are going to be true believers. I, I'm smart enough to get out of it. I can't believe you're still stupid to stay enough in it. You've been brainwashed. Yeah, yeah. The true, the true believers. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of knuckle dragging on us because you're still trapped in the old stuff and everything and rather than just say I'm not going to have anything to do with it it's like no I have to attack I got to attack that everybody partly because I care about you because you're still stuck in that web of cult stuff but the other part is really that I have to make sure that I've justified my actions and so I'm going to attack anybody else okay does that make sense okay 
So, what do you think was then going on in Jerusalem at the time? Because he said, they're going to be deceived. What would you guess? Think more of this? Okay. Now, there is another deception that happened here. And I just want to... But they were already deceived in Jerusalem. I mean, that didn't just happen. They really were. And, and let's talk... And, and that's the, the, the other thing I want to finish with. Deception. And, and, by, and this is the part where I look at this and I go, okay, this is one of those things that happened in Jerusalem. And brothers and sisters, this affects us. This, is, this ought to come real close. Here's where we have to be on guard. Why were the Jews deceived? Why, especially the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees. Why were they so deceived when there's a man in their midst healing the dead and healing the blind and walking on water? And he's doing all of these great things enough that, that Joseph's translation says their eyes were open. They saw it. They, they weren't doing it ignorantly. But to a certain extent, there, there was an area where they were deceived. And it's, what was their deception about? And it, it goes back to that idea of false Christ. How were the, if you're a Pharisee at that time, let's say that you're Caiaphas or Ananias or one of those guys. How are you going to be saved? Okay, there's a variety of things that says, I am saved, right? I'm there. I, I can't fall. I can't fall. My place in heaven is guaranteed. Why? And they're going to give you several of them, right? Number one, our lineage. Remember John 8, you know, we are the children of Abraham. I, I have pioneer ancestors. I can't fall. I'm not allowed to fall. Were they deceived by fear? Fear of what? Looking at something different than what they knew. And not knowing what that would mean? Yeah. And losing their own power. Yeah. Because there's a, isn't there a power that comes with the children of... It, it, it's like, it's like the, we were talking about the, uh, the uh, Sadducee, was it the Pharisee and the publican? Pharisee. Yeah. Pharisee. Yeah. Because I'm grateful, God, that you, you haven't made me like him. At least I'm not an adulterer, a deceiver, or a publican. <laughs> I'm great. I'm powerful. I'm saved. Okay. So they're basically they were thinking they would be saved by their works, by their laws, by their laws. Next one is I have, we have the law. And we are, are we saved? And, Joe, and the Savior is going to ask him that. Are you saved by the law? Did they believe that the law would save them? Yes, they did. We'll be saved by the law. And, and, and specifically, what about the law? Well, it's our obedience to the law. Am I an observant Jew? Do I do the sacrifices? Do I pay my uh, alms? Do I do, am I an observant Jew? Do I go to sacrament meeting? Do I fulfill my calling? Am I observant? That should bring salvation, shouldn't it? We have our city and our temple. We will physically be protected from the outside, 
particularly from God's hatred of the wicked. He hates the Romans. He will never let the Romans roll over the children of Abraham. He will protect them. Had an interesting conversation with uh, a wonderful little uh, gal in the last couple of weeks. And and conversation went something like this. Um, it was her turn to play the organ in her ward. And she tends to be a bit of a perfectionist. And so she played the organ and... And I actually got a text from her after she had played the organ and she says it went horrible. Okay? And in talking to her later, yeah, she'd, she'd made some mistakes while she was playing the organ. And she was devastated by it. And she was struggling with it. And so when I got her back in, I said, tell me about it. Well, it wasn't a lot of mistakes, but there was a handful of mistakes. And, and a couple of people had noticed. The musicians in the ward had noticed that she'd made the mistakes. But they thought that she did wonderfully. Well, she didn't do wonderfully. And I said, well, most, most of the people aren't even going to understand that there were mistakes to begin with. But on top of that, what, what is the big deal? And she said, because I believe that in sacrament meeting, that is my offering to the Lord. That I did the best I could. I presented this offering to Him and it was flawed. And I said, if right after sacrament meeting, the Lord had been standing there, and you walk up to Him, would He have accepted your offering? I can see the head turning. The, the thoughts turning. Maybe... Any of us to work in his kingdom. Yeah, President McKay. I said, so, okay, so let me get this right. You presented an offering to the Lord, and it was imperfect, and it was flawed, and in all likelihood, he accepted that. Yeah. <laughs> I said, that's called the atonement. <laughs> Every offer, the offering that we offer to the Lord is flawed. I said, I couldn't have come up with a more beautiful object lesson in your life with the flaws of perfectionism that says, we do the best we can, you practiced ahead of time, you still made mistakes, the Lord knew your heart, and He accepted that. It wasn't the gap theology, it's because all our stuff is flawed from the beginning. It's the, it's the desires of our heart that He's going to judge. Yeah. Because it's the very best we can do. And also knowing that at some point we will be able to place it. Yeah. And, 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 but most of the time it's just a mite. You know, we gave it everything we had and it's a, it's a mite. 
And he goes, yep, okay, got it. Yeah. They're called belly flops. <laughs> yeah. We're belly flops. <laughs> Uh, belly flops? Do they really? Oh. <laughs> I, I have to get a big box of jelly flops. <laughs> what I could do in my office with a box of jelly flops. Yeah. I know you've made this analogy before about going to the Lord and saying, I've got rocks. Yeah. Like the brother of Jerry. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's the best we got, and it's going to be flawed. And he says, great, bring it. Isn't that great? Okay, so. It's like Mother's Day breakfast. It's like your mother's Day breakfast. It's like your mother's Day breakfast. It's like your mother's the Mother's Day breakfast. <laughs> Look, I made you pancakes. <laughs> okay, just scrape off the black and we'll be good. <laughs> okay, and we got like 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, let's do this. Okay. Okay. Okay, so let's hop down here. Uh, verse 21. These things I have spoken unto you concerning the Jews and the tribulation of days shall come upon Jerusalem. Uh, and if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, believe it not. Okay, now. Now he's going to jump thousands of years into the future. And now we get the, the period of time that we live in. For in these days, now, there shall also arise false Christs and false prophets. And then I thought this was fascinating. And show great signs and wonders. Inasmuch as it possible, they will deceive the very elect. Now, let me... Uh, this is what I think is interesting. Let me hop over for just a second to DNC 29 that I've got marked up there. Because he's going to tell us, first of all, we need, to, we need to understand two things. First of all, we need to understand who the elect is. Uh, ye are called meaning the disciples at the time of Joseph Smith. You're called to bring to pass the gathering of mine elect. Oh. Well, for mine elect, how do we, get, how do we identify who the elect are? Elders, as you're out knocking doors or something like that, how, who's the elect? The 
Yeah, willing to do what? Willing to listen. They get it. They hear it. Everybody else goes, no, 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 no. And every now and then somebody goes, wait, you mean to tell me? And what, really? Let's talk about that. Mind elect, hear my voice, and harden not their hearts. There's the elect. Okay, so keep that in mind. In those days there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and they'll show great signs and wonders. <coughs> and they're going to show them to the elect. And these are the elect. The last line says elect according to what? The covenant. Now, this is kind of important. Our goal is ultimately, uh, I've, got a, uh, I've got a good friend of mine and he was devastated he just found out that his dad had been excommunicated. Why? Because his dad believed that he had had a vision. And that he, in the vision, he was visited by the Savior, who then told him that his calling and election had been made sure. And then he started to preach that within the ward, and there were people gathering to him because this was a guy whose calling and election had been made sure. Ultimately, that's what we're looking for, isn't it? Is to have our call. Many are called, but few are elected. Okay? Many are called, but few are chosen, elected. Okay? Because they haven't understood some things. Okay? Now, he's going to say, all right, and there's going to be false signs, or great signs and wonders, uh, which, I'm throwing a lot at you here real fast. Which Nephi says, verse 13, chapter 19, Those who are at Jerusalem, saith the prophet, they shall be scourged by all the people, because they crucify the God of Israel, and they turn their hearts aside. Why? What did they reject? Signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. It's in, in those days, what were the signs and wonders they were rejecting? The miracles, the amazing things, the healing of the dead, the leprosy, the, the blind, the deaf, everyone, all of this great stuff is happening. They were rejecting this great signs and wonders. And because of that, uh, they ended up being scourged. And because they turned their hearts aside, they despised the Holy One of Israel. And they ended up having to wander in the flesh and perish and become a hiss and a byword and hated among all nations. Well, that's not good. Now, what it's saying here is that in our day, elect us according to the covenant. Are we protected from being deceived? No. And he's saying we are, we are the elect according to the covenant. We would be deceived if we do what? What's one of those ways to make sure we're not deceived? And make sure that our kids aren't deceived? We can't ignore the signs and wonders. We can't. We can't. The, the signs and wonders that are there. And the signs and wonders in our day. Let's go back to the fruits. The things that we're seeing going on. Are there miracles going on around us? 
How about the changing of hearts? How about the changing of lives? How about when we ignore all that? Now, here's the problem. And I, and I think, if, I were gonna, if I'm looking at this and I'm saying, what could disturb, what could deceive, what could take us out of our comfort zone as the elect of God? And this, I believe, to those that are struggling to, you know, try and do the right things and everything, deception is a problem, but I think there is one more just as worrisome. And it's the one that scares me more, quite, fr- quite frankly. Huh? Pride. It, pride will tie into this. Fear. Yes. Yes. He's going to say it. What you say? Fear. Fear. Behold, he says, I'll speak these things unto you for my elect's sake. I'm going to speak this to you, Peter, for Trace's benefit. I'm going to speak this, Peter, for your sake, and your sake, and your sake. I'm going to tell you these things for your sake. And all, and you also shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. How are we doing these days? Yeehaw. Okay. Now, you're, so you're going to hear wars of rumors of wars, and then here comes the great big, if I put it in yellow, even though there are wars and rumors of wars, it's important that you be not troubled. Well, hold on. How can you not be troubled? Just read the paper. Just watch CNN. How can you not be troubled by the stuff going on with the girls being stolen in Africa and the Syrians and Afghanistan? And how can you not be troubled? Well, now, after that one. <laughs> it was the other question I was saying. Right now I forgot what it was. <laughs> not be troubled because you know what's happening. Because you know what's going to come. What's coming. Okay, yeah. Okay, so they really weren't kidnapped. They just kind of went along because that they enjoyed that. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. Okay, um, well, it's the, if you are prepared, you shall not fear. I mean, are we doing those things we've been asked to do to the best that we have the time and capacity to do and allowing the children to work for us? And the question is going to be, what is it that we need to be prepared? Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed that it coming up to me and asking, Mom, what happens if we're on our mission and, you know, World War III or something? Yes. Like what happens Do you think if kids are.
Think this generation is scared to death by everything that they're hearing? Yeah. Because how are we going to prepare them? In here, yeah. If, if we will trust Him, if we believe that that's where the truth comes from. So you begin to get a sense why it is that the Scriptures say, in the last day, men's hearts will fail them. Why? Because they're not trusting that there's a prophet or Scriptures or Revelation they can get answered from. Yeah. And when we're troubled and fearful, we push the Spirit out, and He's our comforter. Yeah, we take comfort from our fear, right? No. No, I wish I had time to do that. Well, I, there's just one scripture in there that I think God's um, speaking of the ten versions. Yes. Says, Actually, the ten version I think, is coming next week. No, it's not. It's coming probably in wise, September. They that are wise and have received the truth, so hopefully that would be us, and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived. Ah. Uh, so I think that's the key. I needed to have included that one. Thanks, Deb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if we have the right translation with that word troubled, uh, because I can't believe it doesn't mean that we should not care, that we should. Uh, uh, that we're just blowing it off. Yeah. Ah, okay. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. Okay. In the last few minutes, I wanted to be able to go to Luke 21, okay? Because it's funny how I was doing that. I was looking up troubled and fearful. I wanted to get more information about where is this and and led me to Luke 21 I didn't realize that Luke 21 was the same telling of the same thing as Matthew 24 but it puts it in different terms just more so okay look at this but when ye shall hear of wars and commotions be not terrified in other words, elect, you're going to have a tendency to be terrified by the stuff that you're seeing. Be not terrified. Nation's going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Of course, we never see that on the news. Um, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines and pestilences. And, look at this. Fearful sights and great signs shall be from heaven. Woo. Don't we get just a little bit nervous by all the stuff that we're watching? Now, I, I, I do like this, and then he's going to flash back for just a second to the just before Jerusalem section, okay? And he's going to go, before all these though, they shall, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. <laughs> oh, okay, well that's helpful. <laughs> now, fascinating to me then, he's going to give us two pieces of advice, and I want to kind of finish with this. Thank you. He's going to give us two pieces of advice how do you handle caring about what happens to people 
but not being fearful, terrified, not having our hearts fail by all of the things that we're watching. Because we're going to really see some awful stuff. Here's, here's the first one. Settle it therefore in your hearts. Not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom. What? Here's the way to not be afraid. He says, and, and, and the word meditate kind of means practice or prepare. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to prepare before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Elders, what happens if you think too much or worry too much about what you're going to tell an investigator? No, because the Spirit will speak through you. He says, I will give you a mouth. Moms, what are you going to say to your kids that are scared about what's coming down the road? What are you going to say to your families? What do you say to one another? I will give you a mouth. Meaning, I will speak through you and you will hear words that will bring peace and calm even in a troubled situation. That's kind of comforting. But overthinkers out here, we have to let him be our mouth. When we're analyzing too much, we, we see all the ramifications and he says, stop it. <laughs> I will give you a mouth and wisdom. And by the way, now he's going to layer this again. And, it, and this is part of what we talked about with the deception. And I think that happened then. I think it's going to happen now as, the, as things get worse. And the difference between our church and the rest of the world becomes more stark and noticeable. Ye shall be betrayed, both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you they shall cause to be put to death. Is there going to come a time that if we're going to speak against homosexuality that that's going to be branded a hate crime? Okay. Regardless of whether we, you know, those that are gay and in the church, we love them, we pray for them, we want to help them, we want to reach out to them. But even the fact that we say that sex outside of marriage is a sin, that's going to be seen as a hate crime. And we're going to watch this happen. Some of you they shall cause to be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. And then he throws this in. Ah, but there shall not so much as a hair of your head perish. Well, how can you be put to death and have your hair not perish? That doesn't make sense. That makes no sense, does it? Except, what's he saying? You'll get it back. You'll get it back. That's right. What's that? Right. That everything will be restored to you. Okay? Now, this is what I wanted to finish with because I thought this was one of the most thoughtful things that he's going to he's going to give us so that we don't get caught up in the fearfulness of the second coming. 
that we begin to look forward more to Adam on Diamond than we do to Armageddon. That we don't get so caught up in, let me figure out when the end times are, and this and that, and this and that. And we begin to say, the Lord's in charge. He has a plan. He will talk to His prophets. At the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, there came a call from one of the local church leaders, according to the Eusebius, uh, uh, who was a early church father. And here's what he said. That the Christians who were in Jerusalem, just as the destruction were started, were called upon by a local leader to go to the city of Pella, which is now in Jordan. It's, it's about... It's about 100 miles up, I think, if that far, north, out of Jerusalem. The call came from the local leadership, not from people in the midst that are not understanding, but from the church leadership that go to Pella, get out of Jerusalem, leave your homes and go now. And they did. And those that went north to Pella were saved of all of the destruction that happened of the million one that were killed in Jerusalem. There will come a call to go to Pella. I don't know if the Pella will be, for those living in Plano, this is the center stake. If you'll, if you'll notice closely, there is a pole that, that from that office right over there in the corner. That's the center pole in the Plano area because this is the stake center. That If we're going to gather, this becomes Pella. If you're in Allen, there's another pole sitting right over there, just up the road here. If you're in McKinney, there's another one over there. Dallas, there's another one over there. There are poles all over the place. There are Pellas to gather to. We're looking to get to Pella. Now, how do we make sure, though, that, our, that we don't overreact, that, we, that our hearts don't fail us? The Savior's going to give us a, one, one last key here. Go ahead. I'm just a sad priest. 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 I'm
from a prophet to go to Pella or Missouri or simply come to our state center, that will come. And we won't hesitate. Yeah. Oh, I think so. The mission president knows where his people are and he'll get them out when it's dangerous. Sure. And I think if we are in tune, that He just moved 67 missionaries out of the Ukraine this week. He will watch over and protect. And if they don't make it, if, if something happens to them, not a hair of their head will be lost. Okay. Um, thank you for this, uh, this semester. Um, like I say, we will we will have a short kind of one next uh, next week. Please bring your great stuff, and we'll feed the missionaries, and we will uh, we'll get a chance to kind of visit with each other. Um, have a great week, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.